This episode, we talk about the current level of toxicity in our culture and discourse. We also talk about how we as individuals can make changes in our lives to break the cycles of media addiction. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. Every once in a while, a strange phenomenon happens to me. I will hear a phrase or a word or a comment for the first time, and then over the next few weeks, I will hear that same word or phrase over and over again. I know a lot of people have experienced this, and over the last few weeks, that has been happening to me with a particular phrase. People who I have talked to who are on the conservative side of the aisle have told me that people they know and love who are on the left have said things, either in person or on social media, that are pretty vile and insulting about right-wingers or those who voted for Donald Trump. And when they are confronted for their words, they respond with, oh, I didn't mean you. I have had so many people tell me this story over the last few weeks that it has really caught my attention. I even have someone who I'm close to who is in law enforcement who told me the same story. He said that people will post on social media how evil cops are, how they are all a bunch of racist pigs, and then look at him and say, oh, but I didn't mean you. Now look, leftist Americans are feeling really emboldened right now, and I get it. Their party won the presidency and have just taken over all of Congress. They are feeling pretty on top of the world, and we can expect a little bit of showboating. But what we are seeing is beyond just a little showing off about their victory. What we are seeing in so many cases is downright vicious. The atmosphere in the country right now, in terms of our rhetoric, is downright toxic. There is really no other word for it. And I think that a lot of different factors have worked together to bring us to this place. Americans are stuck in a vicious cycle, and we need to recognize it for what it is if we are to have any hope of breaking it. The first factor that matters is the fact that politics has invaded every corner of our daily lives. It was not that long ago, relatively speaking, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, when you had to go out of your way to become informed on the politics of the day. You had to choose to turn on the news or read a newspaper or turn on talk radio to know what was going on. If you didn't do those things, you might be spending your day at work, going to lunch with a coworker or a friend, coming home to have dinner with your spouse, watching a football or basketball game with your buddy, chatting with your sister on the phone, and generally just enjoying life. Today, we are at a point where we have to take an active approach to avoid hearing the political drama of the day. It surrounds us and consumes us. You can't turn on a sitcom anymore without submitting to a woke lecture about how terrible Republicans are. You can't turn on a ball game without seeing the players or hearing the commentators bash America. You can't log on to social media without seeing your uncle or in-laws tell the world what they think of anyone who voted against who they voted for. Hanging out and having conversations with family and friends on the other side of the political aisle has become more difficult as well. How do you watch a ball game together anymore? Awards shows are unwatchable for half the country, while the other half fawns over them. I remember being a kid and watching the Academy Awards with my mom and hearing her and my grandma and other people talk about them the next day, talk about what the stars were wearing, talk about who won Best Picture and what films they saw and how they felt about it. But we can't watch that anymore. We can't talk about that together anymore because it's so political. What topics can we discuss anymore that do not devolve into some type of political conversation? Shooting the breeze about a robbery of the local liquor store is likely to devolve into a debate about racist cops. And discussing the big hurricane likely to hit next week turns into an argument about climate change. It has never been worse than it is now, where we cannot even talk about what we did over the weekend for fear that we will be judged for being irresponsible in the era of COVID. 
So the fact that political controversy has inundated every corner of our lives is making things pretty difficult, and it's making people pretty stressed out. There is simply no escape from a topic that causes some level of uneasiness, awkwardness, or drama. Adding to that is the fact that we are light years beyond the idea that those on the opposite side of us are simply good, decent people who happen to have different ideas about how the country should be run. No. Now the rhetoric from the left is that anyone who voted for Donald Trump, over 74 million Americans, are just plain evil. We are Nazis. We are white supremacists. We are Klansmen. We are on par with the most evil people who have ever walked the earth. And this is not just some Twitter trolls who are going there. Don Lemon, a major face of CNN, said that anyone who voted for Trump is in the same category as a Klansman or a Nazi. And when he was criticized for saying this, he simply doubled down on it. We have, after all, been hearing that Trump is literally Hitler for the last four years. Literally Hitler. A Nazi. Adolf Hitler in Germany during the Nazi reign systemically murdered six million Jews, or two-thirds of Europe's Jewish population. He built extermination camps where innocent men, women, and children were brought to, and if they were not instantly led to the gas chambers, they were starved, tortured, and worked to death. Including non-Jewish victims, the number murdered amounts to some 11 million people. Anyone who compares Donald Trump to Hitler and Trump supporters to Nazis is not only historically illiterate, but also is guilty of disgracing the memory and insulting every single victim of that evil regime. People like Don Lemon are standing on the bodies of Holocaust victims to score political points in 2021 America. And honestly, I cannot think of many things, rhetorically speaking, that are more disgusting than that. But it is not just one man at one major news network saying things like that. Just look at the vile things being spewed on CNN and MSNBC every single night. Look at the people like Robert Reich, a University of California Berkeley professor and former Secretary of Labor, who said that we need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to censor and shame anyone and everyone who ever supported Trump. AOC has spoken out about Congress creating a committee to determine how to rein in media who report and say things she doesn't like. This is also the woman who actually claimed that the United States of America was running concentration camps, concentration camps on our southern border. Remember that as she screams like a banshee about the importance of truth. We can even hearken back to the infamous basket of deplorables comment. This is not rhetoric, as I said, coming from the fringes of society. These are mainstream voices on the left who are not just disagreeing with, not just criticizing Americans they disagree with, but viciously demonizing them. That kind of rhetoric flows downhill. When average Americans hear these things on a daily, sometimes hourly basis, it is not surprising when they start to parrot it. And yes, Trump said a lot of things I didn't like too. I was never a fan of the insults against people. I was livid when after being roughly questioned by Megyn Kelly during a debate in 2016, he made a reference to her being angry because she was bleeding out of her wherever. I was never a fan of the little Marco stuff or the insulting of the looks of Ted Cruz's wife or of Carly Fiorina. I specifically remember having a conversation with my mom when he was going after Greta Thunberg, the teenage climate activist, and how inappropriate I found it for the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, to be talking crap on Twitter about a 16-year-old girl. I do not think that it is right to attack people. I believe in criticizing ideas and statements and actions. You will never hear on this podcast, for instance, hear me attack anyone I disagree with based on their looks or some other immutable, irrelevant characteristic. But anyone, 
anyone who says that this type of rhetoric, these types of vicious attacks against political opponents is unique to Trump or even started by Trump is simply not living on planet Earth. That type of denial of reality, that is actually dangerous. Now, I've talked about this before, but if you are on the left in America, it is very easy to be completely surrounded by those who spout your views. Nearly every media giant does, and the only ones who have ever said anything different was Fox News. And we all know how well liberals talk about Fox News. They didn't toe the line, so they must be discredited completely. Celebrities spew leftist talking points nonstop because the conservative ones are mostly too afraid to speak out for fear of losing their jobs. And social media utilizes algorithms to show people more of what they already like to see in order to keep you engaged for longer. Even though this is true on the right side of things too, social media companies are now in full-scale censorship mode against right-wing opinions or anything that might hurt a Democratic candidate. If you are a leftist in America and you do not actively choose to look up conservative viewpoints in places like PragerU or Daily Wire, then it is not unlikely that the only place you will find right-wing opinions are among some of your family members and friends. And this is where the cognitive dissonance sets in. This is where the, oh, but I didn't mean you, comes into play. What happens when you are a liberal American who, after listening to the 10th hour of CNN today, becomes so worked up because you were convinced that every Trump supporter is a Nazi and decides to go on social media to vent your frustration, only to be reminded that your son, daughter, mother, father, brother, sister, neighbor, good friend, or cousin who you actually really love voted for Trump. What happens then? Well, I will tell you what should happen. It should cause all of those people to reevaluate what they believe, not about policies or about, you know, politics, but about the people who they are talking about. After all, if the theory is, according to Don Lemon, that every Trump voter is akin to a Klansman, but your son, who is a really great guy and who doesn't have a racist bone in his body, voted for Trump, it should cause you to pause and question Lemon's claim. As much as I hate when people allow political differences to cause them to walk out of other people's lives, I actually have more respect for those people at this point. After all, I wouldn't be friends with a Nazi, like a legitimate Nazi who marched children into gas chambers. So if you think that I am that person and you choose to still befriend me, what does that say about you? But to the people who refuse to stop speaking to their loved ones who voted for Trump, shouldn't knowing them and loving them be proof against the most vicious of claims? It should for anyone who is willing to think, to rationalize, to take a step back and work to see the truth. Instead, what we get is, oh, but I didn't mean you, except that they did. Anyone who uses the whole but I didn't mean you line is guilty of one of two things. Either they don't actually believe the things they are saying, or they are too cowardly to own what they believe when confronted by it. Neither is a good place to be. And here is another reminder. Social media is in fact a part of real life. When you say something attacking a group of people on social media, it is a good idea to think about who you know falls into that group. Is it someone you know and love? If so, the ramifications of those words may not stay on social media, but likely will spill over into real life's relationships as well. And that is a tragedy. This brings me to one of the vicious cycles Americans are in right now. As politics invades every area of our lives, it is becoming harder to find things in common with those on the other side. It is becoming harder to connect with people as mere human beings and Americans. And so we tend to flock to the people who agree with us and avoid the people who don't. And the more we avoid the people who disagree with us, the easier it is to dehumanize and demonize those on the other side. When your brother, who you adore, voted for Trump, or your parents, who are excellent parents, or your best friend for 20 years, it is very difficult to convince you that all Trump supporters are Nazis. 
But if you don't really know anyone who voted for Trump, or if you have pushed all those people out of your life, that suddenly becomes a lot easier. COVID has only added to this tension in a variety of ways. People who have been mostly isolated for the last 10 months, who have given up their holidays and their social lives, are feeling pretty angry and bitter towards people who haven't done so. They are also spending more time at home and with far more time on their hands and wanting to get the latest on the happenings of the world. They are spending a lot more time in front of the TV, watching the news or on social media, seeing all the various opinions on the news. And they are only getting more frustrated and more angry. I mean, I do whenever I watch the news or get on social media. This has led, I believe, to another vicious cycle involving social media. People are posting far less on social media about the things that connect us, the non-controversial things, because those things are no longer non-controversial. Those vacation pictures you would normally share, you are now going to be shamed for daring to travel during a pandemic. Those pictures of your kid's birthday party? You are going to be judged for gathering. Forget about sharing photos of your family daring to celebrate a holiday. People who are living their lives aren't sharing it anymore for fear of being judged or shamed for doing so. And the people who are at home don't have any photos to share because they aren't doing anything. So we are seeing far less of those personal, friendly posts and pictures that bind us together. Add that to the fact that people are stuck at home watching the news all day and that the news is so toxic and anxiety producing. And now all you have are people venting their anger and opinions, which is creating more toxicity and animosity. It's the perfect storm when you really think about it. So many Americans are isolated. Isolation brings depression. Human beings are social creatures. We all know this. And when the digital means of connecting to the outside world and to each other, which is the only way that we're supposed to be connecting right now, when those means are dominated by judgment, anger, and vitriol, is it any wonder everyone is so unhappy? It is possible for us to break these unhealthy cycles, but it is going to have to come from us as individuals. It is not going to come from the government. As I always say, they benefit when you are engaged and unhappy. Joe Biden and the Democrats' call for unity are crap. They are just a ploy to shut up their opposition by accusing anyone who stands in their way of being anti-unity. Their calls for unity will all but disappear at the first opportunity to attack an opponent. Looking to the government for how to act is a big mistake. It is not going to come from the media, who benefit when you are unable to leave your house and can do nothing but watch their networks all day. It is not going to come from social media, who also benefit when we are at home, not living our lives, posting and commenting and sharing that negativity all day long. It has to come from us. A couple of weeks ago, I disabled all my personal social media accounts. I decided I needed a break, and it has been absolutely amazing. I wake up in the morning and instead of scrolling Facebook while I have my coffee, getting worked up over the news or what latest insulting thing a family member posts, I instead have been spending time doing Bible study. And what a difference that makes. I am more present for my kids. I am connecting with people more directly, which is a far richer connection than anything we get on social media. But most importantly, I have taken back control of my news consumption. In the past, as I mentioned before, people had to be very intentional about finding out the news of the day. Today, we have to be intentional about avoiding it. This is not to say we should live in a bubble and not be informed about what is going on in the world. I don't advocate for that at all. But arrange your life so that it must be intentional. You have to actually go to the news website instead of allowing the site to send you notifications. Limit or eliminate your time on social media. Or if you are on there, do not follow the news sites. It is interesting, just as a side note, when I think about the progression of social media. 
It started with MySpace, if anyone remembers MySpace, which was a pretty innocent place to share photos and so forth. And then Facebook was created and news organizations and politicians realized they could reach people there. I don't blame them for doing so. It makes perfect sense for them to do so. But as Facebook got more political, it was interesting because people moved over to Instagram where you could only share photos. So many people that I know moved to Instagram as a way to get back to the sharing the photos of the family and the friends instead of so much politics. But over time, the politics invaded there as well, as news organizations realized they could post pictures with links to their articles or political pundits could post a picture of their tweets. So many people I talk to express a sadness at the fact that they can't just go on social media anymore to see photos of what their loved ones are doing. Instead, it's just dominated by politics. I think this tells us that people have a desire to use social media to connect with others for those innocent interactions, but the powers that be just don't seem to want to be willing to allow that to happen. But guess what? Photos can be shared via text or email or a variety of other ways. We have a lot of different means of communication at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips. And I feel that in many ways, social media has caused us to be less connected. We see a post from a friend on Facebook and we say, oh, that's what they're up to. And it causes us not to reach out directly to that person to connect with them. We see that the person took a road trip last week, but we never reach out to ask, how was it? What did you do? How did you feel about it? The connections are far more distant and far less personal. If it were up to me, honestly, what we as a society would bring back is good old-fashioned letter writing. I keep a written correspondence with my husband's grandmother who lives in a different state, and I find that correspondence far richer, far more rewarding, and far more connective than anything I've ever had on Facebook or Instagram. When you break that spell that the media has on you, both social media and the legacy media, you begin to look at other people as fellow human beings again. When you break that spell, you realize that you should probably choose to believe what you see in front of your own eyes instead of the lies that are being thrown at you every day. When you stop being afraid and go out into the world and do things, talk to people, travel, and experience life, you realize how much we all have in common and how important those connections with others are. If we can take any lesson away from the COVID era, it should be how utterly insufficient digital and virtual connections are. It simply cannot replace face-to-face personal interactions. I would love to see more people turn the page on this hold that the media companies have on us. Let's return to a place where we are in control of the role that news and politics has in our lives and not the other way around. Let's put down our phones and connect with the people who are in front of our faces. Let's get back to a place where politics isn't in every area of our lives and we can find what we all have in common again. Let's spend our time being more productive, take more walks, read more books, make more visits and phone calls, pray and read the Bible, have date nights with our spouses, play games with our kids. This is something we can do as individuals, and it is my sincerest prayer that more people do it. One of my favorite Bible verses is Romans 12 too. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Think about how much we have allowed ourselves to be conformed by this age. Think of how much we have allowed ourselves to be drawn into the ways of the world right now. The anger and the hatred and the vitriol and the division and the fear. The obsession and addiction to media is a perfect example of being conformed by this age. Is there anyone who can honestly say that this is the will of God, that it is good and pleasing and perfect? No, I don't think so. Another verse that comes to mind when talking about all this is Philippians 4.8. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is anything worthy of praise, think of these things. I think sometimes we feel like if we are not focused on the news, the happenings of the world and the battles we must fight in the world of politics, we think that if our focus is not there every minute or at least a good part of every day, that somehow we are abdicating our responsibility as citizens. This isn't the case. You can be informed, but not obsessed aware, but not consumed. We have permission to focus on the positive and the good. In fact, we are commanded to do so. As one person, you cannot control the temperature and toxicity of the national dialogue. But if more of us start taking control of how that dialogue affects us and the role it has in our lives, I do believe we will start seeing changes. Not only will it improve the quality of our lives as individuals, but over time, we as a nation can maybe possibly begin to move towards a healthier place. All right, so we are going to go now to our three questions of the week. So the first question comes from someone with a username, Blaukrieg. This person says, do you see a way out of the current hyper-political cultural atmosphere? Um, If you're talking about the cultural atmosphere and the fact that our cultural atmosphere is so political right now, I think that everything I just said is the way out of it. We have to get politics out of the culture. We have to get it out of every area of our lives. We need to go back to a place where, you know, there's not politics in sports and there's not politics in every single TV show and every single movie that is made and just every single thing we see on social media. I mean, everywhere we turn, it's just consumed by politics. I mean, you it's we've gotten to a point where it's like, okay, if you want ice cream at the store, you need to think about the politics of the company that sells that ice cream and which one connects with your politics. I mean, this is just not a place where we should be, but it is where we are. And so I think that the way that we get out of this is by us as individuals choosing to put politics aside and really demanding of our institutions and our companies and our entertainment, you know, like we don't want to see this stuff. We don't want to see the politics in basketball. We don't want to see the politics in commercials. Just let's get step away from it. But it's until the consumers start doing that, the companies are just going to continue going down that road and it will just stay in the culture. Question number two comes from someone named Ryan. What will it take for political discourse in the U.S. to change so that actual meaningful issues are discussed instead of politicians pandering to their bases? So I think the important thing to remember here is that politicians are always going to pander to whoever they think they are going to get to vote for them. I mean, that's just the way the nature of politics. It's the way politicians are going to behave. It's the way politicians have always behaved. They are going to pander to their bases. They are going to say whatever they believe is going to get them elected. I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, Joe Biden talked for how long and how many times did he say that he wouldn't ban fracking? And then in his first week of office, he signed an executive order to ban fracking on federal land. Um, I mean, this is, they just, they lie all the time. And they say things that, whatever they say whatever they think is going to get them elected. And then once they get into office, they do whatever they want. But when we are talking about political discourse in the U.S. to change so that actual meaningful issues are discussed, again, I think it has to come from the American people. I think that we are in a place right now where so many people, unfortunately, I believe, vote based on their feelings. They vote based on emotion. They vote based on whether or not they 
personably like the person who's running for office. They vote based on, you know, whether he seems like a nice guy or not, whether he's someone you want to have a beer with or not. I think there was actually a study that said that, you know, whoever, whatever, when they did a poll that said, which candidate would you rather have a beer with? Whoever wins that poll is usually who ends up president of the United States. I mean, this is silly. Okay. That's not why we should be voting. We should be voting for politicians based on the policies that they say they are going to implement for our lives. I think that we as Americans are profoundly ignorant, to be quite honest. Um, people, So many people don't read books anymore. They are not informed about history. They are not informed about philosophy. They are not informed about theology. They are not informed about so many different things, economics and sociology, just all of these different topics that people need to be informed about so that they can be make informed decisions on voting. Instead, what people think is that in order to be informed, they need to turn on the news and they need to know what's going on today. And they need to know, understand like what these politicians are, you know, these jabs that they're giving to each other. Well, the news media today is really nothing more than a propaganda arm for the Democratic Party. And so if you're turning on the media, the mainstream or legacy media, whatever you want to call it, um, you're you're not informed, unfortunately. You are probably quite misinformed, actually, um, because a lot of the things they say are not true or they are twisted in a way to support their preferred political party. So I think that in order for this for things to change and more meaningful discourse to happen, we have to start voting for people based on issues that actually matter. We have to start voting for people based on what they say they're going to do for the country, what their qualifications are, what they've done in their past, like what their resume looks like and not based on the fact of, oh, they're going to be the first insert, you know, qualification or insert characteristic here to be president or vice president of the United States. I mean, if we're voting for people based on, okay, well, she's a woman and I'm a woman, so I have to vote for her based on that, but she's a terrible person and a terrible, she's going to be a terrible, do terrible things for the country, then if that's the, the road we continue to go down, then nothing will actually be meaningful because there is nothing less meaningful than voting for people based on immutable characteristics or whether or not you want to have a beer with them. So until that change comes from the American people, I don't see anything that's going to happen to make things any better. All right. Last question comes in two parts from Tony. What does it say about our political discourse today when we can no longer debate issues, but instead focus on one individual, Trump? And then the second part is, is Trump a symptom or the cause of how dramatically our politics have changed. Okay, Trump is definitely not the cause of how dramatically our politics have changed. And the reason I say that is because I'm actually old enough to remember the candidacies of Mitt Romney and even uh, John McCain. Okay, I'm old enough to remember Mitt Romney, who was a quite boring candidate, I mean, to be honest, and who is somebody who today has clearly shown that he's not particularly conservative. But when he was running for president of the United States against Barack Obama, I mean, that was where the whole war on women came from. He was called every name under the book. He was viciously attacked as waging a war on women and being a racist and doing all these things. I mean, Joe Biden is the one who said about Mitt Romney that to when he was speaking to a group of African-Americans that he's going to put you all back in chains. I mean, that this is the kind of rhetoric that was taking place back then from the Democratic Party. And then 
Trump gets elected and everybody wants to pretend that none of this stuff happened before Donald Trump was president. And that's just simply not true. The reason why, and it's it's funny because people on the left in America just really want to completely ignore this. They want to say that the reason why Trump got elected is because half of Americans are Nazis, right? Racist and sexist and xenophobic and all those things. But the real reason why Americans voted for Donald Trump and the reason that he got elected uh, was because uh, right-wing Americans were so tired of having all of these vicious attacks against them completely ignored or having their political candidates, again, people like McCain and Romney, just want to roll over because they basically got scared that the media was calling them all of these horrible, vicious things. And so right-wing Americans said, okay, fine. Like, if you guys are going to fight like that, if you're going to be like that, then we're going to elect a guy who's going to swing his hammer in every which direction. And that is how we ended up with Trump. So Trump is definitely a symptom of our political climate. He is not the reason behind it. I do not believe that he is the reason behind it. When you say, what does it say about our political discourse today when we can no longer debate issues, um, but instead focus on one individual Trump? Um, I think. I think, first of all, we can no longer debate issues. We instead focus on individuals, everybody. I mean, we can no longer debate issues. Everything turns into a personal attack. If you say, for example, just thinking of some off the top of my head, if you say that you don't want the government in control of healthcare, it is because you're a terrible person who doesn't care if poor people die. If you say that you don't believe that we should open up our borders and let anybody walk across who wants to come in, it's because you hate Mexicans. If you say... Um, that you are not in favor of disarming America, that you believe that Americans should have the right to, you know, keep and bear arms in line with the Second Amendment of our Constitution. It's because you're totally cool with kids being murdered in their school classrooms. I mean, this it it's, it devolves into personal attacks pretty much instantly. Everything is you are a racist, you are a sexist, you are transphobic, you are homophobic instead of talking about issues. I think that what that says about us is that we are ignorant. I think that what that says about us is that we are not informed. We cannot talk, or at least the people who who resort to insults, they cannot talk about issues. They cannot defend their position on the issues. They cannot defend their positions based on the merits, based on the facts, based on the arguments. They can't defend their positions. And so they have to move on to either attacking the person that they are talking to or what has been really fun for them to do and and easy, I mean, honestly, over the last four years is to zero in on Donald Trump. As somebody who didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016, um, I voted for him in 2020, but I did not vote for him in 2016 for a variety of reasons. It was always fun for me to get into a conversation with some of these people who do this because they would instantly focus on Trump. And then I would be like, well, I didn't vote for Trump, but like, let's get back to the issue at hand. And they just didn't know what to do with that. They didn't even know what to do with that because everybody is so conditioned to just attack Donald Trump. And I think that it is actually putting the left at a disadvantage because people, average everyday citizens who, once again, are not exposed to opposite views, they are not exposed to opinions and facts and arguments that contradict them because they're allowed to live in their in their bubble. 
uh, when they are actually challenged, they many people, not all, okay, obviously not everybody, I'm not talking about everybody on the left, but many people, they simply don't know how to defend their positions because they've never been put in a position to do so before. And so they just instantly go to attacking Trump because it's an easy target. He's an easy target because he was the president. And they just instantly go to attacking people on a personal level. I think it is actually going to be really interesting to see what happens right now because the silencing of Trump, the censorship of Trump that the social media companies have decided to engage in, the fact that he's not president anymore. I mean, Trump has been a lightning rod for the left over the last four years, and that has been greatly stamped out by the social media companies and and whatnot. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how all of a sudden, you know, this man who was sucking up all the oxygen in the room for the last four years, he's not there to do that anymore now. And so now the attention is going to be on the people who have been put in charge. So our president, new president and our new Congress, I mean, the limelight's on you now and the spotlight's on you. And obviously the media is going to cover for them at every turn and they're going to campaign for them basically. But you know, if they don't have anything else to report, they're still going to have to report the things that they do. So when Joe Biden, you know, eliminates the Keystone Pipeline on his first day as president, which instantly just made 11,000 plus Americans unemployed and just, you know, destroyed thousands of jobs in one pen stroke, you know, the media is not going to present it that way, but they still have to report that he did that. Uh, when Joe Biden decides that he's going to completely open our borders and stop deporting anybody and let everybody walk into America, you know, who wants to, they're going to report on that. And yes, they're going to spin it in a positive way for him, but that doesn't mean that they, that, but they're still going to report it. And I think that you're still going to see a lot of Americans who are going to look at that and be like, well, wait a minute, I'm not okay with that. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how things play out over the next few months uh, with Trump no longer in the limelight. I think that the media companies are going to realize really quick that one of their main ratings drivers is all of a sudden not there anymore. And so that's going to be kind of fun to watch. But uh, Trump is definitely a symptom of the underlying problems that we face as a society, he was not the cause of it. And anybody who thinks he's the cause of it is suffering from short-term memory loss. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about the state of our culture and how we can break some of the vicious cycles Americans are in. I will be back next week with another deep dive into issues affecting American life from the perspective of just an American. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or a friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to JJ at I'mJustAnAmerican.com or visiting our Locals page at I'mJustAnAmerican.Locals.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at I'm Just an American. This episode was produced and edited by Brian White. Music for this episode was written and performed by Michael Beatty.